Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Welcome. We're glad you're back. There are some rock formations in Western Africa that start again in East Brazil. I'm bringing that up because you can't see all the formation until you cross the ocean because they used to be connected together before continental drift. That's kind of what happened with us between last week and this week. We're right in the middle of something really important, but yet the time needed to break. And we, we try to keep it around 35 minutes because that's the time that people can give us if they're in a Bible class situation or the like. And normally that's not a problem, but it was kind of a problem because you were right into it. You left off talking about, uh, and we're in Mark 10, by the way. I didn't say that, did I? We'd read to verse 9, but that doesn't mean we're done with that section. You talked about one of the salient facts of Jesus is that when Jesus enters a situation like salt, entering the room, women have rights, women are respected, women are seen, women are heard, Mm -hmm. even if it's a sex worker, even if it's a rich woman bankrolling, even if it's a woman outside the covenant, like the Samaritan woman, or the Syrophoenician woman, Jesus sees them, hears them, listens to them, helps them, and sometimes it seems especially if they're the, the, I hate to use the expression, kind of woman that religious people reject. I think it has a lot to do with him just being Jesus, him being the son of God and loving women as intentional creations of a loving father. But I also think he grew up in a house where his mother's story was not believed by his brothers. They believed she was an adulteress. That's the only other answer. Uh, until after his resurrection, then that pretty much sealed the deal. (laughs) And they they believed. But you brought up very correctly that Jesus elevates women. So with that said, we need to learn the difference between modern English and English as understood, or the language as understood in context. Uh, When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He, He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Well, as, as Rick brought up last week, um, very, uh, the Catholic Church has taken a very sacramental view of this. And so marriage and divorce is taken out of the hands of the couple and handed into a religious bureaucracy to decide if you're married or if you're mm-hmm. divorced. Never Jesus' intention, never God's intention. Um, And we can maybe one day talk about that if we do topics sometime on um, how the the state got involved in marriage and messed Mm -hmm. it up a lot. But regardless, we need to talk about the word adultery. Uh, It always threw me, especially in the Matthew version of this passage, that if a man divorces his wife, he 
forces her to commit adultery. No, wait a minute. Because in English, adultery is sex between two people who are married, but not, each, not to each other. Fornication, in English, is sex between two people that aren't married. That is not true in the Greek. In the Greek, it is much different. Fornication covers, or pornea, covers all sexual sin. Um, and I don't want to even list them. You know them. Adultery very often involved sexual sin, but not always. Adultery meant to break your covenant. So that's the only way, you know, reading it in the original intention is the only way we can make sense in Matthew whenever he says the woman who is divorced, he forces her to commit adultery. I, I asked a preacher this once, how is this possible? When I was just a teenager and in our church, <laughs> he says, well, because eventually she's going to have to marry somebody. Like she couldn't keep her sexual urges under control. You think that little of women? And he did. He's, you know, well, you know, she's going to have to marry somebody uh, or she's going to have to have sex with somebody. And that's how he forced her to commit adultery. No. She stood up and she said, I will be with this man forever. And this man forced her to break her covenant because he won't let her be there. And so you understand the difference here? Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. He had pledged for this woman and now he's broken that and gone to this woman. He's broken the covenant. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. And again, the Matthew passage is the more confusing passage. Uh, when it says any woman who's put away has committed adultery. Well, she didn't mean to. She's forced into it. You and I, undoubtedly, I mean, you can't get as old as we are, that we have not made an agreement with somebody and they broke it. Uh, it doesn't have to be marriage. Mm -hmm. But because they broke it, we weren't able to do our part. We had... You know, we had determined and we had said out loud, we were going to do this, but because they broke it, we can't do this. So we're innocents, but we have broken covenant. And by the way, God knows that he is not going to punish the innocent. And again, same preacher also used to teach us that the innocent party could remarry, but he'd never met an innocent party. <laughs> Does it feel like sometimes you and I went to the same church, Rick? Oh man, <laughs> same pew, <laughs> same street, yeah. I could say more, but I've said a lot. Is there anything you want to add to this? And by the way, I've always let him know. If he disagrees with me, bring it on. You know, that's fine. <laughs> no, the, the, the good thing about being able to discuss is that when you can discuss, you, you can get to the better learning. You can get to the clearer learning. Yes. It's when we refuse to discuss or either say, this is it, and if you don't like it like it is, then you're wrong and this thing can go. And, and rarely does all truth and all understanding reside over on one little corner. It's, exactly. We need people to go together. But, uh, um, but the power of, of what Jesus is doing was, was basically to heal um, people because of the system that they were in. Um, we already know the power um, that, that men have. And even to this day, I mean, just think within the last few years of the things that we've watched on television. I mean, we may have known they've gone on in boardrooms, but then as, 
as women have a little more freedom or either a little more respect in the eyes of people, I don't know what's the best way to say that, then all of a sudden what they said started meaning something, you know, and then they say, okay, well, you can't, you know, you can't do that. And then all this stuff is starting to come forward now. And, um, and so Jesus is, 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 is giving them full status. You know, he's saying this is the way they are to be treated. And, and, we're going that way, but don't try to tie this to the to a heaven or or a hell thing for a person. Because if so, um, you're going to have to ultimately deal with the question of what if the situation where two people couldn't get along. I mean, they couldn't work this thing. Whatever, whatever this. Instead of me trying to figure out a way to say it so that you can feel comfortable, just put it this way. They could not stay together, or decided that not stay together. It, whatever it was that got there. Does that mean that one person is, is, is automatically has no shot at, at, at heaven or either they've got to go back and remarry the person again, you know, or, or either stay, stay celibate? And if so, then we, you start to answer the question, well, what, are they, what is God then going to take away their, their desires, the, the desires right. that he built within them intentionally? Is he going to take those back? Um, or is he going to give them the strength of, of a eunuch, that kind of stuff yeah. on the man or woman? And if not, then then how we how is that person, you know, supposed to live a, an open life in Christ and and truthfully in Christ? If, in fact, they start hiding things behind, have to hide them behind doors. And then in the church, we we act like we don't know what's going on. But we know what's going on, then we act like it because it helps us get down the road without having to answer any hard questions. And, and what we do is hurt people because some of them end up leaving, you know, the church altogether or leave, yeah, leaving that church altogether. And some of them may say, you know what, I believe in Christ, but I'm going to do this home thing. And I don't mean home church. I mean, without all of them. I don't want that. Uh, and that's uh, very hurtful uh, um, because we're, we're built to be with people. You know, we're built that kind of way. And, and in service, we can make a better impact moving together. But, but, it's, but God wanted to be together because it's better for everyone. But if, in fact, uh, something breaks it, that you have broken covenant, which right. is exactly what it is. It, it, it's the covenant that God had. Uh, um, now, in breaking the covenant, you do not break a person's relationship with Christ. Well that is yep. sealed by grace through faith their walk. Amen. You, you know, that is sealed that way, you know, and this is not going to hold them hostage, you know, nor the other. And of course, we said, well, we're going to open up the floodgates to, you know, well, that's true for everything that, that we get ready to change. That is true for everything. Um, but the other side of it is, it's still up to God, and it's still his church, and treat them. And then the other part is that we, we have to understand that nobody will ever know what goes on in somebody's, totally know what goes on in somebody's other relationship and why they're doing that it. You, know, you only know the person that you're talking to. And you only know what you really know what you know if that person, both of them together, told you exactly what the situation is. And so you don't know. That's and the right. thing is, you pray for God to give me a heart right, give me, you know, my spouse or whoever they're with, a heart that's right, and let's go, to, you know, go together. 
and, and not try to talk, you know, the, the, way we, the way we interpret this in the church puts the power on the leadership of, of a church and more particularly the leadership of a congregation. It puts the power right there and it gives them a power that God never gave them. Exactly. But in fact, it gave them a power that, that sometimes they, they use it to their detriment. Uh, and there's been lawsuits um, yeah. That have that have come up. You, you, yeah. you know, that, that. I think of Collinsville, uh, and that yes. was one way back a few decades ago. Yeah. Um, there, in some churches that take a sacramental view, that would include the Roman Catholic Church, um, the mainstream churches of Christ. There are many of them. They will say that adultery is an ongoing sin. So, uh, in other words, there was a divorce for some reason. Um, again, we never really know the story. Now, this person, we know adultery is a, a, has been committed, a breaking of covenant. We don't know anything about sexual sin. It may have been involved, maybe not. Now, they're married. In both of those that I know of, the Roman Catholic Church, and may, I don't know about the Orthodox. I've got to admit my ignorance on that. In the mainstream churches of Christ in which I was raised, they would say these two aren't really married to their new person that every time they have sex with their their mate that they are committing adultery that adultery is an ongoing thing completely and utterly unsupportable by scripture adultery occurred past tense when the marriage was broken and there could very absolutely be an innocent party I've met them I've met them in emergency rooms where they were beaten by the other one and they said enough enough. And I said, yes, absolutely. Paul says that if the unbeliever doesn't want to be married to you, let them go. And he even says, 1 Corinthians 7, he says that you are no longer under bondage. And that was a phrase that meant no longer under contract. You have no obligation. They don't want to live with you. You don't have an obligation to have to live with them. But I know churches and I know because I was in some of them where a young family would come in, they looked like great, they loved the church, they wanted the police membership, they wanted to be officially known as members of that congregation. And whenever they were talked to about their, their life, they, they would find out one of them or both of them had been married and divorced, and we had told them, you couldn't be members here, and the only way to please God is to divorce now. Think about that. The only way to repent from divorce is divorce again. Uh, and the way we got around that was saying, well, it's not really a marriage. And you have to go back to your original partners. Well, what if they're married? Well, then you have to leave this marriage and be celibate for life. God never said any of this. And you used a phrase, um, which you've said some really great ones. Uh, I'm hoping people are underlying. Uh, but you, you said, God did create us with urges. Mm -hmm. Don't just sexualize that, guys uh, and girls. Um, the it's not just an urge for sex. It's an urge for intimacy, companionship, togetherness. Um, and it, and it, those urges are powerful. Um, one of the hardest things when you talk to somebody who doesn't have a mate, and very often it's by, because of death, divorce, um, or never had the opportunity. And some feel gifted, I think, was celibacy but when it hits the time to be in a hospital and you're on your own and only family can visit 
you're, I, it breaks my heart. I don't think we should have those rules, but we have those rules. In fact, in America, when you get married, there are over 1,000 laws that change in the tax code and all this other because you're married. I'm going, what in the world happened here? It should be an agreement between two people with the blessing of their community. But we've done this other thing to it. So yeah. if you're, and did you, did you want to say something there? Well, just the, um, you had mentioned just a little, little bit ago about you, you've been in hospital rooms when, you know, when you looked at one or the other and realized it shouldn't, shouldn't, this no, thing should never happen. Alone, yeah. Okay. And I want to, to make sure that, so that we cover this, you know, for this global audience that's listening. Most of the time when we look at that hard side of this doesn't need to happen and God doesn't want it to happen that way. Because that, that's actually what breaking, part of breaking that covenant as you, mm -hmm. as you said. Because look at the way God tells us to treat one another. Well, mm -hmm. Is that how you're treating this person? Yeah. If not, you're breaking covenant yeah. with them right, right now. Okay. And so now the other part is that the person physically hurt isn't always the woman. Uh, um, oh, yeah. That's... It becomes our society and how we think of it, uh, um, especially with men, as we're starting to find out, there's a, a grown, there's a number out there that we didn't know as large as it is that suffer in their silence of, of being abused. Yep. Uh, uh, physically and uh, well, more emergency room admissions are made of men being beaten in a marriage than women yeah. there may be reasons that we may be able to explain that away but that number shows us at least that sin is going two ways mm -hmm. yeah and and it's and, and, I, and so I, i'm saying that because christian people when they hear that situation tend to laugh or maybe smirk sometimes and say well that's not a man mm. you know and uh uh, and, and they allow things to happen and go on. But that's breaking of covenant, too, you know. And, um, and it's nothing. When the, when the church tries to dictate it as a salvific issue, then they take away their ultimately possibly take away your ability to be happy. Yes. Or at least to be sane, yeah. you, you, you know. Yeah. Um, or, or at least to get your life back, you know, and your hope back and stuff like that. Uh, um, and maybe at some point in time you can enter more in this because what I'm getting ready to mention, you're well down the road, way down the road. I'm still somewhere back in the field looking out. And that is we're starting to find out more about this narcissistic, you know, tendencies and attitudes with, with, with people, you know, and the way that it can, you know, just overshadow everything. And in the church, you're telling me, well, you got to stay with, with him because um, I, I've, I've been in meetings just like you have. Well, you know, if, if you want everything to be right in your marriage and stuff like that, you need to just put out, you know, if I can use that terminology. Yeah. You know, if they, and I'm looking at it and thinking, oh, my God, this is, this is crazy. This mm -hmm. is literally craziness. Mm -hmm. uh, or either on the other side, what if this person is narcissistic? Uh -uh. And that can have a whole bunch of psychoses or modality, however they do it, of their own. And some of those, some of those are literally dangerous. I, I mean, death dangerous. They're pathological. Yes. Uh, just real quick, for those of you in other countries, perhaps a narcissist, it's, a, it's an actual diagnosis, a mental health diagnosis. 
they are so self-centered that their needs, their wants, their desires matter, but yours don't. And therefore, they will use you, they will throw you away, they will demand from you, everything must be focused on them. And as soon as I say that, some of you are going to be thinking of some people. Uh, I hope you're not thinking of yourself. But that's just to explain what narcissists mean, where you put all the focus on you, you're the important one, and you're willing to harm others or hurt others because they don't matter. You do. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah. narcissism is, often precedes um, violence uh, and to the point of death. You are correct. Uh, murder. I mean, think about, you know, it's not classic narcissism, but to shoot somebody because you want their shoes, you know, that's pathological. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's sociopathic, at least, if it's done as, as a sign of the kind of person you are, that's narcissistic and, and becomes murderous. Um, we, um, in, divo- in marriage, we're to become one flesh, not one flesh with another one just being carried along mm-hmm. who must serve the other. Um, I'm going to get some people in trouble here. You ready? Uh, very, very conservative. I'm not going to use the name because he's passed on. And there's no reason to use someone's name, uh, even though I think he did a good thing here. Uh, very, very conservative minister, lifelong, who now was training ministers in a training uh, school, not quite a college, but that's, it was a training school for ministers. And some of his students walked in and they saw him on his hands and knees scrubbing the floor. And they were stunned. They'd never seen him outside of a suit. And they froze. And he stood up and used that opportunity. And he said, I have been married, and I don't know how many years it was. I wasn't there. I just heard about this from one who walked in. Mm-hmm. He says, I didn't, my wife has never scrubbed the floor. And they said, really? He said, I didn't marry her to scrub my floors. I married her for her wisdom, her companionship, uh, for... Uh, because I loved her. Therefore, I decided I don't want her scrubbing a floor. And I, my wife doesn't scrub floors, but she cleans the floors. But when it comes to things like taking out garbage, mowing the lawn, whatever, I, I took that and learned, I'm going to do for her rather than demand from her. And that will keep narcissism away from me. Um, but again... There's got to be a partnership, and you've got to draw mm-hmm. where those lines are. And as we get older, it changes, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there are some things my wife used to be able to do that she can't now because of bad knees. There are some things I used to do that I can't do because just old guy. And so it's a dance. But we're keeping our covenant. Um, and you said something a while ago that I'm just going to say and then let you talk until we're ready to go to the next uh, thing about children. Um, Jesus isn't trying to give people a way out of the marriage here. You know, he's not giving you a loophole. I've, I've seen it done where somebody goes, well, Jesus said that if you looked at a woman with lust, then you committed adultery in your heart. And the woman who was married to a preacher said, I asked him if he ever had. And he said, yes. You know, he, and she said, so I have grounds for divorce. I'm going, he wasn't giving you an, an out. He was telling the man to behave. 
but it's not, and I didn't get anywhere with her, sorry. <laughs> Anything you want to say on this subject before we move on? Uh, um, you know, other than the fact that if, if, we, if, if you can look at um, the relationship that, that God is doing as Christ is to the church, you know, and the church is his bride. If we, if we follow that, you know, then that's where it's trying to go. And it's, it's never a guarantee that, that everything works out. But, you, but we cannot impose upon Christians that's either force them into that relationship, which you had mentioned earlier, get, get divorced from this one, and then you can be saved. And, and you're looking at them and thinking, oh, my God. And then people say, well, let's, let's go find another church because this one obviously right. um, um, isn't. Um, and then the whole situation of person saying, well, the divorce happened before we were Christians. Even in that one, they said, well, you still got have to go back. That, that lets us know, you, you know, that yeah. the teaching was off because Jesus was, was constantly healing and then those that, you know, um, that went down that road, he wasn't putting them back together. I mean, you, you go where you go. And um, because Christ is working to make us happy in him. And not that there's a trouble-free situation because there, there's not. But the fact that when you realize that this is how this is going to go, then do it with the grace of God and the love or for the other person. If we did that, uh, um, you, you know, when the church gets involved in this relationship, it's almost like when you have to get a lawyer involved in your divorce. It's never going to come out right. Never going to be good. Because um, it, it, once, they, once they get in, if, if you kind of didn't like each other at that point, <laughs> when they get finished, you, you know, you're going to hate, literally hate each other, you know. And, um, and that's the thing that, that we're, you know, we're trying to build through because we understand what the family is, what the relationship is, but we don't want to destroy because there's, there's people out there that do no fault of their own and there, or either things they did not know, you, you know, omissions kind of stuff. And, uh, but God is about putting that whole person back together and that's the whole thing that comes out, you know, right. treating people right and put them together. Absolutely. In fact, just one illustration. Uh, we all know of the horrible, horrible sins that David committed against Bathsheba yeah. and her husband. Uh, murder, treachery, um, traitor. Um, he also almost certainly sexually abused her because there was a power differential. If he says, come here and have sex with me, mm -hmm. she doesn't get a choice. Mm -hmm. So I, people who act like this is a mutual seduction don't understand the world they were in. After that time, she is still referred to as the wife of Uriah the Hittite until David repents when the prophet Nathan goes to him. After that point in scripture, she is always referred to as the wife of David. So this idea that adultery is a continuing thing, no, it's a sin. But the new relationship can be blessed if the people repent of what they did wrong and enter back in with a covenant with each other and God. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it, uh, and just to end that and go out, e yeah, even yeah. with, um, in, in talking about, you know, Dave, Eshi, Uriah, uh, over in Proverbs, when, when Solomon is, is, is asking God for strength, you know, to run church like that, then he says, as you did for my father, David, who was this, 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 and this. Okay, so all that we know David was, when Solomon's talking about him, he said, this is my father. You did this for him because he did this. He was mm -hmm. this. He was this. He was that. People go through. Uh, this is life. And, and life 
can put some hard things on you. It's a hard road. But look at this. Solomon. If you look at that prayer of Solomon for David, you would think David just fell out of heaven. You yes. know, right then, yeah. and he went on. You, you know, and um, and that's that's far from the case. But but that's how he saw him because of God in in the picture. Right. You know, uh, and it has a lot to do. Had it a lot to do with the way. Bathsheba saw into the situation because she's pouring information into in the Solomon, yeah, yes. you know, and, and he's able to, to see it. And so if anything, we come out of this understanding how you go forward, how yeah. you can go forward. God, God can redeem a train wreck into a dumpster fire, no, but you got to give it to him. Mm-hmm. You got, you're absolutely right. We have about six and a half minutes in our time here. And I think probably that gives us time for this. Um, I think I think I read last time, didn't I? I don't remember. Would you read okay, 13 through 16? 13, yes. yes, please. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them and blessed them. Well, um, once again, we get the painting idea, Jesus on a rock, there are the 12, but people are around and the kids are running up and people are asking, will you bless my child? And blessing is a real thing, by the way. Um, if you had abusive father or mother, absent father or mother, something like that, always complaining mother or father, they never gave you a blessing. Um, it, it matters. It really does. I, in my own life, my father was, a, was absolutely dedicated to God as he understood the scripture, but he never told me he was proud of me, even with the degrees and the other. He never, because... There was a rigid system, and the system was what he was doing the best, by the way. This is not a criticism of him. This is just reality. I grew up without the blessing, and I remember shortly after he died, I was at an event at Lipscomb University, and um, I and many thousands of others, I wasn't special, and a man, a good friend of mine, flew in all the way from Thailand, and ask if he could have lunch with me. And I thought he'd come to the event. But he sat down and said, really why I came here was because I don't think you ever got a blessing and I want to give you a blessing. Man, never forgot that. It wasn't magical. I wasn't healed and wonderful after. But I still think of that. Mm -hmm. And so with my kids, constantly as they're growing up, now they're big. <laughs> you know, my, they've got families of their own. I still will text them and tell them, you know, you're the daughter I always wanted. You're the son I always wanted. You know, you're my hero. You are fabulous. I, because I want to pour out the blessing. Blessings matter. If you don't bless people, there's a problem. Uh, you should go, being salt, you should start blessing people when you walk in a room. And, and you can, when you can say it out loud, do so. But they truly, it is a passing on a blessing from generation to generation. Think about it. What would it be like if our, in our society we didn't say, can't wait for school to start to get them out of here? 
you know, you noisy brats are always doing this. What if we instead, we still teach them, still discipline them, obviously. You got to get them ready for life without you. But you encourage the good. You allow the, the kid to be a kid, which frankly, I didn't always do grow, raising my kids. I'm learning from my kids <laughs> <laughs> and how they're raising the grands. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll hear grandparents going, oh, my kids are doing it wrong. No, my kids are doing it right and far better than I raised them. I have to believe I gave them enough blessing that they could take it to another level because that makes me feel better. <laughs> there is a, yeah, um, if I can, in, in having um, worked at a couple of Christian colleges and one thing that I noticed about when preachers' kids come to the school, if, if, there was, if there was a group inside that student body that was prone to go off, as far off as you can go, there you go. Yep. that was going to be the group. And, and I'm not saying everyone, but if you just looked at groups, how they grouped themselves off or what group they come in. Preachers' kids, if there was a group that was going to go off, they were going to be in and, and any and maybe elders, kids and stuff like that right. would be in that same group. Uh, um, that would be the, the group with the exception of those in almost without fail, with the exception of those who had uh, preachers, you know, for dad and stuff like that. Th- those who had that, but the dad functioned more like a regular to lead to the family functioned more like a regular dad that didn't sit on the front pew mm-hmm. that sat somewhere in the middle or the back, you know, and didn't come back Sunday night, you know, if he didn't want a Wednesday, you know, because you, you got to be there three times or like that, you know, and, and, and was not there every time the door opened. Now that, those, those, you know, they, they, you know, they, they're there to get what they to get to school and they're on. But the other group, they're, constantly either being being sent home for discipline and coming back, you know, or either getting demerits, you know, or or in the more extreme case, really getting into some serious stuff because they didn't know how to handle the freedom. They and they didn't know how to social they didn't know their socialization was off. Yes. Because they lived one kind of not, not lies not the right word. They lived some kind of dis Well they lived on stage. Yeah. And therefore, you can't be yourself on stage. Exactly. Yeah. Um, no question. You, you, you said it well. Um, love the little children. And then we didn't even talk about receive the kingdom of God like a little child. Uh, that's, that one's still hard for me because I still run it through all the formulas and the science and the evidence and the like. But when it comes right down to it, you know, atheists believe one thing because it's um, an act of faith. I believe in God. It's an act of faith. Neither of us were there on day one. But I choose this story. And sometimes you just have to believe and choose your story. Yeah. yeah. But, the, the, the children, um, your heart goes always out because I, I love it to see a child when, the, when they're learning something and the light turns on in their eyes. You yes. Know, that they get it. And you realize they're getting this and they're growing. Or when you see a child and you, you're walking them through something and you go do something for a couple of days and we come back and you look like and they've got it. And they're doing it right and moving on. Um, if, 
I think if, if parents wouldn't mess their kids up so much, <laughs> the kids would be a whole lot better. When it, but you got kids raising parents, you know, or either parents that are imposing um, things on, on their children. And some of the things and, and you doing what you do and the work that you've done, I know you've got horror stories yeah. that will never come out of the closet. <laughs> But in mind, there's some things, even to this day, when I think back on them, I still get a shudder in my back when I, when, because I knew those people. You know, they were yeah. in a church. And, I, and I, every time I think about it, I start I still think today, man, I, <laughs> you know, and, and you pray that, you know, hopefully you're always aware of yourself and that, that happened. But then you, you look at that in your congregation and you realize that's in every congregation, everywhere. And it's kind of, they've got that stuff going on. And yeah. somehow... Those kids, if, if they, if that situation gets straightened out, those kids go on. They're resilient. Yes. Um, you, you see them, you Remarkable. see them bouncing back, and uh, and that's what that's where you know this is going with them. Don't don't act like the Pharisees and Sadducees. Don't act like that. You know, don't don't try to demand. Don't try to take advantage. You don't don't. But look look like a child does. You know, a mother a mother can spake a child and while. The mother's spanking the child. The child's holding onto the mother's leg, just you know, want to yeah. go. Now let the dad spank them, and that's a track meet right <laughs> there, trying you know, trying to chase them down. Uh, we'll probably leave it at that for now. Yeah. We're, we're not we're not giving you um, permission here. We're yeah. we're just discussing incidents. Well, let's go. Um, let's wrap this up, and we will start again next week at ten seventeen. Thank you, brother. All right.